0: Um, we're just going to call the ushers to uh, good morning everybody. I'm sorry. That was rude. Good morning everyone online It's so good that you've joined us and I'm excited to share the word of God. Let's give the worship team a round of applause It's been a challenging morning for them We're gonna take in our offering now if you're a family member and uh, we love to see our family members engage And one of the ways, one of a few different ways that you can engage in the life of this church is by giving. We're very grateful for those people who, well, we're grateful for everybody, Um, but it's it's great when we're able to see the generosity cheerfully and sacrificially given. So thank you so much. Have we got, is tech going to work? Is my TV going to work? So does somebody need to move? Shall I move it? I'm frightened to move it because last time I did that, it stopped working. So I'm going to leave it to Manukia. Do you know what was really funny about the... How many of you remember the uh, overhead projector and acetates? Uh, Wasn't those the days when you usually had a youth kid member falling asleep on the front? That was me. And they'd forget to move it up, and then suddenly everybody's gaze glaring on the back of their head. And this morning we had the joy... Thank you, guys. You're amazing. We had the joy this morning. It's kind of funny because the words are kind of complicated until we all get to that one point that we know. All my day. And then the rest of it is like. All my day. Yeah. I can see you. I heard you. It's wonderful. Just a couple of things before we turn to the Word of God this morning. Um, first of all, we have got a questionnaire out at the moment. You can find it on our church website and in any email you received recently. Just a few of you have been asking, well, it seems only like five minutes ago when we were filling out another questionnaire. That's true, but those one, that was particular to COVID in the middle of ministering, in the middle of COVID. And this one is very data-driven, and so it will take you a few minutes Uh, to fill that out, Uh, not now. So the head's going down. Oh, I'm going to do that right now. That seems like a great time to do it. Um, But we'd love for you to fill that out. And then we're going to be looking at some of the results, uh, looking towards May 29th, which is our church meeting, uh, which we'd love for all of you to come out. Um, The other thing that I just want to briefly mention, as some of you may not be aware, we actually have two kind of congregations joined together right now. Uh, There's the 33 uh, congregation, and then we also have the South congregation that normally meets In lower mission, and as many of you know, but some of you don't, uh, the school district are renovating the school that we have been using for the past almost 20 years. Uh, So I was there this last week meeting with a new principal who is just great, and we're already getting a good relationship. But if, especially if you go to south, and if you come to 33 and you just want to be a bit nosy, um, on June 1st, which is a Wednesday night, we have a night where we're just going to have a bit of a vision night, some prayer, some discussion, and also for us. As a team, to be able to fill you in on what's going on and what some of the plans are looking into the fall. So, June 1st, there is some information coming out in emails. Uh, I think Jenny has already been sending out some information about that, so that would be great. Uh, a few months ago at the South, I started uh, something that uh, we actually had a tremendously positive response towards, uh, and it comes back, it comes from like a little bit of a tradition from when I was very young, which is uh, standing for when we read the scripture. And, uh, and it just struck me again that we stand in honor of people, which is great. We stand in honor of our national anthem, which is also great. And really there is precedent in the scripture for when God's people came together, they would stand in honor of the scripture. So I want to invite you this morning to stand in honor of the scripture. If you're at home, don't do it if you're driving. If you're at home, stand. Let's read together and uh, I will read for you. This is uh, from First Samuel. And, um, and this is the Word of God. This is the spoken, God-breathed Word given to us. It is worthy of our recognition and our standing. Amen? Amen? Amen. Okay, let's read together. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can ye have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. This is God's word. Please take your seats. In December last year, at the beginning of December, I just knew there was something not right physically. With me. You know, I just woke up, I'm, I'm 49 years old almost at that point, and I'm like, I just know when things are amiss. And so I went to see my doctor, uh, who's a wonderful man of God, and, uh, and he just is passionate about medicine. And so I was grateful, grateful for all our uh, healthcare providers the last few years. I can't even imagine what it's been like. So thank you uh, for that service, and it's wonderful. Uh, and I know there are many in the congregation this morning and listening online. I went to see my doctor, I knew there was something wrong, and, and uh, the thing with when you go into a doctor's office and you already feel like something's amiss, then you just kind of brace yourself a little bit for the news, uh, and, uh, and that's what happened. I sat there, he took my blood pressure, and he said, your blood pressure is, is high, and I was like, that's a good thing, right? Anything up there has got to be good. And, uh, and he told me the numbers, and he said, you know, that that's actually problematic. You need to make some significant changes in your life. And, uh, and I was like, well, I started asking, what could I do? And he went, well, you could do with maybe losing a bit of weight. Oh, thanks, Doc. So my blood pressure's high, and now I'm a bit chubby. Anything else you want to throw, <laughs> throw my way? Where do I pay? Thank you for that. And he said, well, you know, if you lose weight and you just start getting your exercise and take your days off, days off, yeah, that's a good idea, and uh, maybe a Sabbath, because he said, I've heard you preach about that, ouch, that's, that's three things now, thanks, Doc. And, uh, and so this was the beginning in December, so I went on a really kind of strict change of life, I don't like calling it a diet, um, this is a, a change of life, and I've lost some weight, and I've got uh, fitter, and taking days off, and lo and behold, friends, The doctor was right. Who knew? (laughs) Dr. Weeb? you know what you're talking about. Thank you. It works. The blood pressure is now actually excellent. Really happy and all my blood work was great and and, and I'm thankful for that. But when you go into a doctor's office, um, he gives you some maybe not great news or she gives you some not great news and then tells you what happens if you don't make any changes and it kind of feels worse for a little while. Then they tell you, I hope, what you can do about it. So you start going, okay, so there are things that I can do. And then finally, hopefully, they tell you these are the results of doing what you should do. So there's the bad news, there's what you can do about it. And then here are the results of if you follow these instructions. So friends, I want you to imagine this morning you are stepping into the doctor's office called Dr. Holy Spirit. And there's some kind of tough news coming our way. Notice I said our way, because this affects everyone, the topic this morning. And you know, we, if, the, if you ignore the bad news, then there are certain results to that. These results we may already be feeling in our lives. It might be that you're feeling uh, if, if these symptoms, if you like. These symptoms are feeling anxious, frustration, irritability a good list so far, and you're glad you came to church, hallelujah, <laughs> hypercriticism towards others and to, others, uh, to other things, being hypercritical, discontent, unhappy, only happy when things are going wrong in other people's lives, that's a tough one, isn't it, and then unhappy regardless of your circumstances, these are just a few, just a few of the symptoms and then what we're going to do is we're going to look at, at what the results not only of these symptoms are, what it looks like in our life, and, and then we're going to look at what we can do about it, and then the results of following through what the scripture says. So this is, this is really bear with me, one of those sermons. Just stick with me till the end, because the end result is you're going to walk out of here, hopefully with a bit of a prescription in hand, or a prescription of how to conduct ourselves in a way that we can see relief from some of these symptoms, and more than that, joy flooding in. So you ready to sit with me? Three of you. Praise the Lord. 97% of you, let's just see, and I don't blame you. I don't blame you. So what is the ailment that affects every one of us, that this scripture has already spoken towards? The ailment is this, envy. It's envy. It's interesting because I listed the seven deadly sins that, by the way, isn't in the Bible. You're not going to find that, but I think they're spread around the Bible, but you're not going to find them as a section in the Bible. But the seven deadly sins, envy is one of them. But it's perhaps one of those that we ignore the best. Really, is it that much of a problem being a bit envious of one another? In fact, our culture leverages envy as a motivator to fulfill our dreams. And I'm going to show you how that happens in a minute. What is envy? Well, envy really in its simplest form is wanting aspects of somebody else's life. Wanting aspects of someone else's life. It's a very important definition because it affects every one of us. Yes, even pastors. There's this underlying envy between pastors that we might come over when we meet one another really just happy for each other from different churches. So, how's your church doing in, in COVID? How many people have you got coming out? Oh, oh you've got 4,000. We've seen 150 of them baptized in last month. Oh, great. Good for you. And you can feel it rising within you. Wanting aspects of someone else's life. See, we live in a culture where people are judged better depending on what's going on in their lives. Let me give you some examples. So, for example, students who achieve the highest grades or attend the most prestigious universities are judged to be better. Professionals who earn the most salary or work for the best companies are judged to be better. Entrepreneurs who raise the most capital, scale their businesses the fastest, are judged to be better. In fact, we give them awards for doing so. Our culture elevates ambition and it creates envy. Parents who seemingly, in capital letters, have it all together, because we all know you don't, we don't, But seemingly have it all together, are judged to be better than other parents. Social influences who have the best looks, wonderful fashion sense, and incredible physiques are judged to be better in our culture and this is not peculiar to our culture you don't have to go uh, you don't have to go like 50 years and say there was a turning point this has always been the way that we would look at one another and we would see aspects of one another's lives and go they are better than me because they seem to have that and i do not have that we're under this pressure to constantly compare We look at ourselves, we look at the other person, and we make a judgment. Oh, they look like that aspect of life is together, so therefore they must be better. And you see, in our head, please understand, we can go, that is silly. We'll even say it. Well, looks aren't everything. But inside, we kind of believe that they are. Well, money doesn't make you happy. Kind of like to find that out. (laughs) We say it. We don't believe it. I mean, again, remember, doctor surgery. We don't really believe it. You know, there might be times where we fade in and out of the belief, but we're comparing constantly. So what has this got to do with the scripture he read? And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. What's saying? They have ascribed to David 10,000. To me, they have ascribed thousands. You see, to David, to me, what Saul is doing is he's comparing himself to David. What does it result in? Anger and displeasure. And in fact, it changes the trajectory of his life, if you know the story of Saul. So Saul is very angry. Now, please understand, there is nothing wrong with wanting something you don't have. Let me say that again. There is nothing wrong with wanting something that you don't have. But envy, sociologists tell us, you know we can see you, Zach. (laughs) Oh, praise the Lord. Thank you. Zach, I'm envious of your runners today. I tried to just get up here <laughs> so there's nothing wrong with wanting something we don't have. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Sociologists say, however, that envy is now a bigger problem than it used to be in this generation. And most of it is fueled by social media. Now, if you come to the South, you'll hear me talk about social media a lot. Because social media, actually, I think, in 50 years' time, we're going to look back at our period now, and we're going to shake our heads in disbelief in the same way that we maybe look back to another generation or a few generations prior at how we treated children and women. I think we're going to look at social media in the future, and we're going to look at hindsight and go, what were we thinking? Because anxiety actually rises at the same rate of trajectory that social media did. We have proof of that now. Now, again, let me just reiterate, because I always get people saying, that means you hate social media. I didn't say that. But social media fuels discontent and creates envy. In fact, the very term influencer is the idea is, is that people put themselves on the Internet. Again, nothing wrong with that. But then say, look at me, and you could have this too. If you do this and buy this course or follow these instructions, it creates this feeling of I want to be that way, and so our culture promotes envy as a way of getting somewhere where we're not. But the thing is, as we all know, is that we're actually looking at people's edited lives. We're not seeing the real thing. And again, we know that, but we still fall for it. I still fall for it. You know, I was thinking about an example of this and and I was thinking about young people especially and the pressure that they're under in order to perform, especially when it comes to around the idea of proposals. If you ask me about my proposal to my wife uh, over 30 years ago, there is nothing impressive about me uh, sitting on a bench. And I get Christmas. I'm just going to be transparent with you. I feel like I'm in a safe place. Sat on a bench in Llandudno, which is in North Wales, and uh, it was raining Uh, just outside the public toilets (laughs) and I said, so, do you want to get married? Nowadays, it's like the young man picks up his beautiful girlfriend and uh, and I actually heard a story just like this, this has actually happened, and picks her up from her parents' house and drives her to the local airstrip. Well, there's a plane waiting to take off, and they go in the plane, she's all excited, she gets in the plane, and they, they take off, and they spend half an hour going around all the area where they spent most of their time together as they were dating over the last few years, and they finish off by going over a field where they actually managed to get I love you written into the hay. It gets better. They land in another field next to a classic truck that is filled with photographs of their life together so far. And she's just like, oh, this is so amazing, pretending that she doesn't know what might be happening next. (laughs) Looking for the hidden camera people. Is this my good side? (laughs) They drive off and he drives her to the side of their local lake. Many a time have they spent next to this lake in a date, and so this is getting very special. They get into a rowboat. There's got fairy lights all around it and filled with petals. They start rowing across the lake to the island in the middle of the lake. And again, there's petals as they get out of the rowing boat. And they start walking up towards the beach. And there is fairy lights in the trees. And then there's a picnic all laid out beautifully. And then they sit down and they have some, And then he pops the question, will you marry me? And she says, no. No, I'm joking. (laughs) And I think about that and I compare my engagement. I go... What was I thinking? The pressure to perform is so high, driven by what we see on social media, but they are edited lives. That's not real life, it's beautiful, but it's not real. You might go onto the internet with this pressure to perform and you see someone else's freedom, young adult, that I just want to live in a van. And I want to go to old Grand Canyon and I want to do all these beautiful, amazing things and take photography. And I'm just going to get a, an income from the internet. If I just buy this course, I'm going to get there. And we fall for it. I look at my friend's car and go, really? they got another new car? I love you, my friend. But envy rises up within me. Maybe you're into houses, and you look at somebody else's house, and they've got this picture-perfect Instagram pin, Pinterest house, and you're looking at the cushions. I got emails about that. The cushions that are wedged, and um, you're going, oh, this envy rises up. Maybe you're looking at somebody's job, and you want a job just like theirs, and you're disappointed with your job. Different location, different perfect family, you know, that those families that are just so beautiful, and color-coordinated, and perfect hair, and you know, five-year-old, three-year-old, one-year-old, and they're all like, ah, and you just think, these are, how, why, and look at my family, it's like, not that way, and hair all over the place, maybe you look at someone else's marriage and go, wow, they just seem to have so much fun, what about my marriage, somebody else's looks, and you know it's not about looks, but you kind of know that it is also about the looks, we even compare dogs I mean, if you don't go on the social media, it's fascinating. One of my favorite things that people really get excited about, I was thinking about Manuki when I actually did this. I didn't make that. That is a picture of a cake. And there's this whole thing called Nailed It. And you look at this and you go, you know what, I can do this. And then this is somebody's actual result (laughs) of trying to do that cake. See, research shows that the more we compare ourselves to others in social media, the more anxious and depressed we come, we actually end up feeling like that shark looks. Saul was very angry. You see, not only does it, it doesn't stop there. This is the sinister part of envy that we're getting into. Remember, Dr. Surgery. You see, envy is not just wanting aspects of someone else's life. It's wanting aspects of someone else's life while at the same time resenting them for it. There's this fascinating aspect of human nature that not only do we get annoyed, sorry, do we want what this other person gets, we actually get pleasure and happiness when they fail. That's a whole kind of gossip media is based on that. The rich and the famous have it all together, they have a downfall and everybody gets happy. See, angry rises within Saul and this displeasure See, envy is also being unhappy at other people's happiness. It is, envy is weeping when other people rejoice because they have got what you don't have and you hate them for it. And my prayer is, is, even as I'm starting to speak about what is really a difficult subject, my hope is, like me when I was preparing this message, that I come under conviction of areas in my life where I have envy. It's interesting, research shows that the people that we're most envious of are the people that are in our immediate social circles. Not necessarily close friends, but people that we know, not necessarily people on the internet. Unhappy at other people's happiness. So I go back to the original question, what's the big deal? Isn't envy just the motivator? Maybe you're seeing something on the net and you go, you know what, I can have what they're having. And it's a motivator towards working harder or getting more education or uh, whatever it might be, getting, improving your baking skills. What, whatever it might be, then yes, that's fine. But it doesn't stop there. Is it that serious? Jonathan Edwards, the American philosopher and theologian, arguably one of the greatest philosophers and theologians that America's ever produced, said this, never underestimate the spiritual power of envy. The spiritual power. James said it this way, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. <laughs> Thanks, James. That, that's hard. Don't deny it. That's like me going into the doctor's surgery and going, I deny having high pressure, blood pressure. Well, it says it right here. Yep, not me. It's actually healthier for me to acknowledge it and go, yeah, I see the evidence in my life. I'm going to do something about it. If you harbor bitter envy, he says, such wisdom, in other words, denying the truth, does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly and spiritual and demonic. Wow. You see, discontent rises in our souls. And envy makes us unable to enjoy what is in front of us. At its very core, envy stabs your soul. It is that problematic and it might be that you've never considered it and the other thing by the way as you look at research it is a it is not a respecter of uh, of your race of your sex of your age of your uh, economic status in fact it shows that the richer you get the more envy that you can actually develop research tells us so what do we do about it? Okay. All right, Doc. <laughs> I hear the bad news. I recognize the symptoms. And it might be that you are not yet recognizing those symptoms. And I want to encourage you in your time with the Lord to actually ask the question, Lord, what is it that I'm, is there anything in my life that I'm envious of? And you might need to do a little bit of a, uh, an, inven- an, an inventory, an audit, if you like. If you are still thinking through Christianity and you're just exploring spirituality and you're not convinced about Jesus, you're intrigued by him, but you're not convinced yet, I still encourage you to do that inventory. Is envy actually creating discontent in your life? Are you able to enjoy what is in front of you because you're always looking past it at what other people have? So what do we do about it? Well, here's the good news. You ready? Just stop. Just stop that. Just stop. Stop being envious. Amen. Let's pray. (laughs) If only, hey? You can't just stop being envious. I'm going to make a calculated decision today to not be envious. And then I walk out of there and I see something or someone or something that someone's got. I turn on my phone and I look through Instagram and I see that pastor. He's like, like, wow. Envy rises up. So, Envy emerges from somewhere else. If you like, envy is a byproduct, a symptom of something else that's an issue. That's what we need to get to. So let me tell you right off where it comes from, and then we're going to backtrack and we're going to see what we can actually do about it. So envy emerges from what we worship. It highlights what we are living for. I'd love it if you were journaling, take a photo of it, whatever it might be. I want you to remember that. Envy emerges from what we worship. It highlights what we are living for. What do I I mean by that? Imagine you went to... Uh, university let's say business school you enter business school and you are the top of the class you're like you just rocking this degree you get your MBA you're top of the class You get an award for it and everybody comes to you to ask for help and you're feeling good about yourself and then your uh, your friend also graduates out of that class but not quite as good a grades as you and you lose touch and that happens and ten years later there's a reunion you get back together you shone in university, but this friend of yours shines in life as far as our culture is concerned. They drive the best car. They've got the most beautiful spouse. Their kids are just manicured and pedicured and just perfect. They go anywhere in the world in my private jet. They have everything. And what's your response? Praise the Lord. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> What is your response? What's my response? See, in that moment, perhaps what I am worshiping is highlighted. What I'm really worshiping is highlighted. See, if I'm living for success, and I'm living for money, if I'm living for the uh, the capital P's in life—possessions, power, people, position. There's another one. I can't remember. It's equally depressing. If I'm, if I'm living for that, if that's what I'm worshipping, if in other words, if I don't have that, I am nothing. If I don't have whatever it is, I don't feel worthy. If I don't have fill in the blank, then I'm not really living the good life. If that is my, and, and friends, we can spiritualize it. If my worship team isn't the best sounding, If my preaching isn't the best, if my congregation isn't the largest, if my Bible study isn't the most popular, we can can actually make it something that it is not actually designed to be. It's not designed to be worshipped. The Bible calls that an idol. So we're back to this, envy emerges from what we worship, but the good news is, is we can use those little clues to root out what that idol is. So if you're feeling envious or angry or disappointed, if when somebody comes into the room and your heart sinks because they are there, because they have something you haven't got, or worse, when something bad happens to them or they don't achieve something, you get happy, if that is the, that's your clue, that's your alarm bell, so then you sit down and go, okay, what is it that I'm actually worshiping that their life has that is highlighting something in my life that is keeping me from the joy that I was created to have? Might be freedom in life, might be your looks, you know, that list I gave earlier on. It can be anything. It can be the it can be something that you worship that somebody else, if they knew, would think that's crazy. It could be the latest little gadgety gizmo Lego computer game leveling up. Could be anything. You'd be amazed, friends, what people worship. How do I know? It's because I'm amazed at what I worship. I've got to have that. I've got to experience this. If I don't experience this, I'm I'm nothing. And so what we were designed for is so much more than that. And we're dumbing down our souls when we're satisfied or seemingly trying to be satisfied with things in life that will never ever fulfill what you were created to have and feel. We think that these things are actually going to bring us the life that we want. They're going to be that uh, that that they're going to save us. They're going to they're going to actually create something that is really, really good that we crave. And all the time, we get disappointed. A silly example might be, and I'm literally making this up on the spot, um, a watch. Okay, you research this watch, I've got to have that watch, this watch, oh, just, I love that watch, and you kind of convince yourself you need it, whereas, and that's fine, but it's probably more of a one, and that's okay, but then when you get it, you're like, oh, this is fantastic, and then the newness wears off, and then you look for a new watch, because the watch was never designed to fill that incredible divine gap in your life. You were designed for so much more than anything this world has to offer. So craving, actually, friends, you're more worthy than that. You're more worthy than that. And so your relationship and God... It's so important because what you're doing is you're actually tapping into the very core of what you were created to be. You will never be satisfied with anything outside of Jesus. And the more that you focus in on Jesus, the more that you focus in on the one who designed you and created you, and you follow after him, then you'll find that actually he is your ultimate treasure, and everything else is a bonus, watch included. It's just all gravy. I don't know where that term comes from, because I don't... I'm not an over-fan of gravy, but you know what I mean. Everything else is just bonus. If he is your ultimate treasure, then everything else is a bonus, and contentment and joy follow, and you can do what the Bible says for us to do, which is rejoice with those who rejoice. Because nobody loves anyone more than somebody who can genuinely celebrate success with them. We pick it up like that X factor, when you can just sense that somebody's actually not that happy for you. But it's a genuine yes. Because you're not finding your satisfaction in what that person has found. You're finding your satisfaction in who you have found. See, we're designed for so much more. So much more. You see, knowing Jesus really is the essence of a happy and abundant life. That Jesus is more than enough. Our connection with him, our love for him, our knowledge of his love, the assurance of his promises, all these things fill us. Now, please, friends, please understand, we have to fight for this, Christians. It's not like you become a Christian and you know that we don't float around for the rest of our lives, just not everything, like everything kind of coming off as like Teflon, like we're not affected by envy. You have to fight for this. You have to bring your body under subjection. You have to discipline yourself to keep your eyes fixed upon Jesus. You remember that command? Keep your eyes fixed upon Jesus. Because what it implies is it takes effort. We've got to do that. So you literally have to take your eyes off the thing that we are envying and coveting and place them upon Jesus because he is the one who is more than enough. We see it in Paul's life. Look at this incredible scripture. I have learned. That's interesting. In whatever situation I am in, to be content. He was sat in a prison. And it's not one of the the prisons that we have today. This is basically a dank, damp cave, potentially starving because you only got food if somebody brought you food. Chained to guards. And he's like, I'm content. But he's learned to be content. That encourages me. let's carry on. I know how to be brought low. He's, check, I've done that. I know how to abound. I know what it's like to have everything. This guy was incredibly educated, revered. He had position, he had power, he had people, he had possessions, and whatever the other P word is. He had all of that. In any and every circumstance, I have learned, there is again, the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That verse is so much more than, than a verse for somebody who wants to run a race, by the way. You know? I can do all things through, you know the athlete thing? I'm like, oh, that's not what that scripture's talking about. It's actually learning how to find strength in the middle of, of, of the toughest times in your life. That my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Actually connected to giving, interestingly, this passage. So what Paul is saying really encourages me. Because as a human being, as a person, my personality is, give me something to do. I need to learn something. Great. What is it that I you to learn? I need to learn the secret. Okay. <laughs> well, if it's a secret, what is the secret? The secret To contentment is seeing how much you have been given in Christ Jesus. If we could dwell and meditate and make that part of our thinking and our daily paradigm, that regardless of what you don't have, look at what I have in him. That I would have every need of mine supplied according to uh, Jesus Christ in glory. No, it says riches in glory. I have everything I need. How rich a treasure we possess in Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, knowing him, I promise you, is what our soul truly craves, not the thing that we're seeing in someone else's life. And the symptoms of envy really are crippling. They can create bitterness. They can create anger. They can create frustration. And they can create this hypercriticism of everything and anyone. Because nothing is ever good enough. And we start learning to look at other people's lives and immediately pulling them down and getting cynical. Even people on TV. Might be somebody you walk past on Pandozi. You give them a glance up and down. You've immediately determined actually, I don't like this person. And here's the reason why. Did you see his shoes? I want those shoes. I don't like him. I hope he trips and falls. But it's, I'm exaggerating to prove a point. And maybe I'm not exaggerating. This hidden, oh, it's just never good enough. And, we, and cynicism and hypercriticism is a thing in our culture because, the, again, social media is driven on it. It's like, <laughs> Or we just sit there and criticize somebody with one another. And somehow it makes us feel better about our lot in life. No, Jesus will make you feel better about your lot in life. So as we press into him, let me show you something as I finish. Just a beautiful scripture. We talked about Saul and his envy towards David. And the anger and the displeasure that it can create as he compares what David has to what he has. David had ups and downs. We've seen this in our study of David. David at his best is a beautiful picture of King Jesus. David at his worst is often a really accurate picture of us. But the beauty is, is there's hope in Jesus. He says this, you, this is David, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Notice this, I thirst for you. Jesus is the one that our soul craves after. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied. As with the richest of foods, with singing lips my mouth will praise you. You see, David had experienced God's love. Not just as some mental abstract that one day he would like to understand what it means to be loved by God. But he'd actually experienced, seen, felt in his life the love of God. But we have something better than what David had. We have Jesus Christ on the cross. We can actually see and experience God himself giving us his life unconditionally. The most unselfish, unenvious God. Saying to all those who believe in me, come to me and I will forgive you. And you too can experience. That's why it says taste and see that the Lord is good. We have something better than David. More certainty because we have that grace shown to us through Jesus. A soul melting moved to dear soul-wracking experience with Jesus. Let's not dumb ourselves down and be satisfied with the wonderful common grace that God gives us every day. Please enjoy it, but don't find your ultimate satisfaction in it. Find your ultimate satisfaction in Jesus, and you'll find that all those other things that he's given to us to enjoy become even better. That you can enjoy life more because you enjoy Jesus even more. Rather than trying to find our satisfaction in the thing... This is just like, it's it's the gravy. (laughs) It's it's that, oh, yes, thank you, Jesus, because everything we have been given has been given to us to continually point to how amazing he is. So friends, if you don't know Jesus today, I lovingly ask the question, are you being satisfied with something that really is communicating that you have lowered yourself? You actually think you're gonna be satisfied with the things that you're chasing? Christian friend, have you just, there's been times in your life where Jesus has been the certain treasure of your life and you've seen everything through the lens of the love of Jesus and judgment has, has reduced and criticism in your life has reduced and, and all these beautiful characteristics of Christ emerge. And you can remember a time like that. You can even look back at journals at times like that. But now you're finding, that you're finding your satisfaction in joy and joy in those things in life that he's given you. We've done, as Paul has said, and worshiping the created rather than the creator. There's beautiful hope that today, that even as we worship, it can be the quickest of moments that, Lord, I am sorry. I am sorry. And we confess. It might mean a little bit more work. You might need to do that little audit. And then it follows that confession and that sorry and wonderful God forgives us. And when you realize what he did for you, an experience that will ultimately, like David, take away your envy, that is the gift that the Holy Spirit gives us this morning. That's the, Glen. when you get your high blood pressure right, you're actually going to feel so much better. And I take that prescription and I go, oh, yeah, it's got some good points. Put it in my pocket and I'll get around to that. No, it's like, man, I've got work to do. Let's get on with it. The work we have to do today is to learn to be content by fixing our eyes upon Jesus who's given us so much more. He's a God of more and more and more. Amen? Okay, amen. Let's stand. Let's worship him. Let's not stand, sorry. Oh, we're sitting. Yeah, we're sitting for last. Oh, we're sitting. Some of you were prophetic. You didn't move. I admire that. Uh, Yeah, no not happening i guess it's to see the tv is that right we're pulling an audible Manuke and i are going to sing it okay you know you got to love sunday mornings like this don't you it just reminds us that it's not about all this it's about him so i'm going to pray while you sat and uh, we're going to worship him together praise you lord hallelujah lord i thankful that you're a god of hope That, Lord, that you give us the greatest treasure, that we can experience joy, we can experience contentment, we can experience your love, Jesus, through the cross. That, Lord, that we can leave this place this morning feeling uplifted because, Lord, you were lifted. And, Lord, I pray that just as a general prayer that you would forgive us for being satisfied with those things that you give us to enjoy. Lord, I pray that even as we worship together now, that we would, our hearts would be oriented towards you. You'd start speaking to us about those things in life that we worship instead of you. Thank you, Lord, that you are so patient, so kind, so loving and merciful towards us. Jesus, thank you for paying the price for me. Oh, what a God. What a Savior. What a King.